Well, today we turn to a brand new chapter in the Gospel of Matthew as Jesus continues teaching us from the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout the sermon, Jesus is teaching his followers, that's us, what the kingdom of heaven looks like and how we are to act as his followers in this kingdom. We hear Jesus tell about deeds of Christian courage, about compassion and reconciliation, about integrity in the face of temptation, and about witnessing for truth and justice. In the kingdom of heaven, there is no walking the line. There is no asking, just how close to sin can I get without sinning? Because in this kingdom, motive matters just as much as action. Last week, we finished up Matthew chapter 5 with a message on how to love our enemies. And several of you spoke with me about how challenging you found that message and how challenging you found it over the years, maybe even right now, to love your enemy. And I agree with you. Living according to kingdom values is no walk in the park. It can be dangerous stuff. We're warned about dangers all the time, aren't we? All you have to do is go and order a cup of coffee from your favorite barista or through the local fast food drive through window. And chances are really good that when you get that cup, it's going to say on the side of it, warning, contents of this, cough, of this cup might be hot. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. I mean, who wants a lukewarm cup of coffee, right? I'm thankful that our coffee bar out in the atrium serves up hot coffee. And what's with all the warnings for drug commercials? It seems like several years ago they just started naming every possible side effect that you could ever get from taking a drug. I think it's a miracle that anyone even wants to take any medication anymore. And they almost always end with, warning, this may cause death. Oh, that's pretty thrilling, isn't it? And speaking of may cause death, there's a recent trend among human beings, and we're supposed to be the smartest species on earth, a recent trend that goes around, people go around taking selfies of themselves in dangerous situations. Now, don't do it right now, but a little later when you go home, just Google the words dangerous selfies, you will not believe the kind of pictures that you are going to see and the dangerous stuff that people have done. People have taken selfies with this amazing backdrop or scenic backdrop right behind them and then they've fallen over backwards into a cliff, sometimes even into the Grand Canyon. People have tried to see how close they can get to dangerous animals, including animals like sharks and bears. And they've taken some incredibly dangerous selfies from the tops of tall structures. <laughs> this is a picture of Wu Yong Nin, a Chinese rooftopper. He climbs skyscrapers without safety equipment. And he would do these incredibly dangerous stunts while filming himself doing them. 
He would post them on the internet, and he actually earned, made quite a bit of money and had quite a large following. Pictures like that make my stomach turn, literally, because I am so afraid of heights when there isn't anything solid under my feet. Sadly, Wu Yongnin fell to his death while doing a stunt like that in November of 2017. As we start a new chapter in Matthew and a new section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins with a warning. In some translations, chapter 6 begins with the word, beware. Jesus is saying, watch out, there's danger up ahead. And he goes on to warn us about a particular danger. And it's a warning we don't want to be foolish about and not listen to. I'm reading from the NIV translation today, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The danger Jesus is warning us about is found right there in verse 1. Practicing our righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Now today we're especially going to be looking at giving but Jesus will go on and address two more practices which we're going to talk about next week, praying and fasting, and the danger in using those in order to call attention to ourselves. But this is not meant to be an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. Almsgiving, praying, and fasting were all well-accepted spiritual practices in Jesus' day. And they have remained that way down through the ages, even to our day. And we could add other spiritual disciplines or habits to this list, like reading our Bible, going to church, witnessing to others about Christ, and so on. These religious activities are good, and they're necessary for expressing our devotion to God and for drawing us closer to God but Jesus puts a warning label on them. And we need to make sure we read the warning correctly. Jesus isn't telling us not to practice our righteousness with acts of devotion. What he is saying is motivation matters. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll remember that Jesus said, you are the light of the world, so let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Now Jesus is saying that our giving should be done in secret. He is not contradicting himself. He is addressing a different matter, the matter of the heart, the matter of motivation. There's a big difference between letting your light shine and turning the spotlight on yourself. Think about it. Spotlights are used in the theater. And when it's time to highlight an actor, a spotlight shines on her so that she stands out. And the idea of acting is used by Jesus in this text. In the Greek language of the New Testament, the word hypocrite, which Jesus uses, is a neutral term. It has none of the negative connotations that the word hypocrite has in English. In Greek, hypocrite is the word for actor or stage player. In that day, Greek dramas were really popular, and they were either comedies or tragedies, and the actor would always wear a mask on the stage in order to better convey the role that they were playing. Now think about it. It's rare that an actor ever plays themselves on the stage, right? Now instead, an actor puts on the persona of another person. They play a role of someone different than who they really are. It's make-believe. It's made up. It's just for show. And so it is with a hypocrite who gives with the wrong motivation. They are giving for show. They are giving to draw attention to themselves. They are giving not out of compassion or other good motives. Being generous is not who they really are. There's a big difference between doing a righteous action for public praise and being unconcerned with public praise. There's a difference between giving out of love for attention to ourselves and giving out of love for God or for other people's welfare. I mean, it's proper and right to do good works in front of other people when we are trying to secure praise for God, but not when we're trying to secure praise for ourselves. Our acts are not to be self-centered. They should be God-centered. We should not give in order to make ourselves look good, but to make God look good. Jesus is certainly not against giving, or any other act of righteousness for that matter. He assumes that we will practice these acts of piety. In his sermon, he doesn't say, if you give to the needy. He says, when you give to the needy. You see, being spiritual will always lead to doing spiritual acts. It's about both personal piety and social holiness. Our Wesleyan heritage is firmly rooted in the grace of God, this incredible grace that flows out of God's great love for us, grace that can be defined as love and mercy given to us by God because God wants us to have it, not because of anything we've done or could do to earn it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 puts it this way, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, 
so that no one may boast. We cannot work enough to earn God's grace. It is a free gift from God given to everyone who wants to receive it. We are made right with God through faith alone. But that is never the end of the story. Last week we talked about how Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 48, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And we talked a little bit about the Wesleyan theology of Christian perfection. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, describes Christian perfection as having the mind of Christ, of giving God all our heart in full surrender to God. It means loving God with all our heart and our neighbor as ourselves. You see, there's both an inner and an outer component to this. Wesley would call the inner component personal piety. And personal piety includes the personal devotional practices or spiritual disciplines or habits, as we like to call them at Anderson Hills, like prayer and searching the Scriptures, holy communion, fasting, Christian community, and healthy living. These practices are a means of grace. In other words, they are ways in which God works in the lives of believers to quicken, to strengthen, and to confirm our faith. And then the outer component we call social holiness. And according to Wesley, there is no holiness unless it's social holiness. And these acts of social holiness include doing good, visiting the sick and those who are imprisoned, feeding and clothing people, earning, saving, and giving all you can in opposition to slavery. Both acts of personal piety and social holiness help perfect us in our love for God and the love of our neighbor. And thus, both are necessary for moving us onward toward Christian perfection. They are inextricably bound. They go hand in hand. Another way to see it is to realize that our inward being or love of God leads us to outward doing or love for other people. It's to say that our faith leads to works. Love leads to obedience. James chapter 2 puts it this way, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Luke chapter 11 tells us about a time that Jesus taught further about inward and outward holiness and about motivation. The story goes this way. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. 
Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Jesus is teaching that there's a danger in our religious activities becoming a way of showing off a type of image management. We start to worry more about managing our image than about cultivating our inner connectedness with God. Our inner life becomes disconnected from our outer life. Isaiah, the great prophet, wrote about this. He said, these people honor me with their lips, that's the outer life, but their hearts are far from me, that's the inner life. Pastor, author, and consultant Lance Witt tells about an old dilapidated YMCA building that was located across the street from his work. Word came that they were going to tear down the Y and replace it with a tall skyscraper. But weeks went by, and nothing happened. Oh, every now and then they might notice a worker coming and going, but there were no crews, no wrecking balls, no bulldozers, no changes. And then one Saturday, there was the sound of a muffled explosion, and the walls began to crack, and the bricks began to crumble, and everything came crashing down in a cloud of smoke. Lance writes this, all those weeks when we thought nothing was going on, when nothing was changing on the outside, a systematic dismantling was taking place on the inside. Weaknesses were being exposed, and skilled demolition experts were working their magic. The end result was a total collapse, an implosion. He goes on, this image has served as a warning to me. When I practice image management, I am headed towards an implosion. There are an awful lot of people's lives that looked good on the outside but have imploded because their inner life was disconnected from their outer life. If our inner spiritual world isn't healthy, it's only a matter of time before our inner world will crumble and take the outer down with it. We can only keep up appearances for so long. We may be tempted to try and keep up appearances, but Jesus gives us a better way. Jesus says to do what we do in secret, and our Father who sees in secret will reward us. It's like Jesus is motivating us to practice our righteousness in secret by encouraging us to seek a better reward. We can be noticed by others, and then that's it. Or we can be noticed by God, and that's ultimately great. You see, when we decide, when we give to be noticed by other people, when we call attention to our giving just so we can enjoy the reputation of being generous and enjoy the admiration of our friends, 
Jesus says we've already received a reward in full. That's it. We might as well enjoy it because that's all we're ever going to get. No reward from God because it wasn't really giving. It was a sales transaction. Think about it. When you drive through McDonald's for your morning cup of coffee and Egg McMuffin, you place an order at that speaker, aren't you? And then you're asked to pull forward to the first window to pay for your food. When you get to that first window, no one tells you how generous you are. Nobody makes a big deal about praising you for paying your bill. Why? Because they ask you to drive to the second window where you're going to receive food that is worth the same amount that you paid. It's a sales transaction. It's not a gift. That's what Jesus is saying. When we give to the poor or to God's work in any way, just to draw or just to be seen and admired by people, it's not a gift of devotion. It's a sales transaction. We give at one window, and then we drive to the next window in order to get people's admiration, to receive their applause. And that's all the reward we're going to get, Jesus says. But when we give, not to be seen by other people, but truly out of our love and devotion to God and to please Him, Jesus says that our Father who sees this will reward us. Now, some people might say that we shouldn't try and seek a reward. But Jesus seems to be saying that we should seek to upgrade our reward. <laughs> Don't just drive to the next window. Drive to the heavenly window. You see, devotion to God is best done with the right motivation from the innermost being of our heart, seeking to please and to glorify God. When our Heavenly Father knows that we are doing whatever we do out of love and devotion to Him, that's true devotion. That's kingdom devotion. And what we have to do is to keep our eyes on the eternal and not just on the temporal. We have to keep our eyes of faith open. So how do we do that? How do we check our motives? Get alone with God. Get alone with God. Spend time alone with Him in secret. Find ways to do things out of love for Him and don't let anyone else know. Enjoy the secrecy that no one else knows. It's just between you and your Father. Enjoy the little secret that just you and God share that no one else knows, just you two. And if you're tempted to do things to be seen by people, well, Jesus says there's a better way. There's a better reward that can be yours. There's a secret place where it's just between you and God, and that is so much better. To hear your father say, well done, to sense his pleasure, to care more about what he says or thinks than what other people around you might think, that's true devotion. That's your proper motivation. That is what devotion in the kingdom of heaven looks like. If you get tempted to love the praises of people around you, recognize it, confess it, and ask God to set you free 
from the performance treadmill. Cultivate your personal piety and your social holiness. Worship, pray, get in a life group, read your Bible, share your faith with others, serve others. Let these righteous practices shape you and transform you more and more into the likeness of Jesus. Then you will grow in Christian perfection, and the deepening of your love and devotion to God will show itself in the way you love and serve in the world. Other people will see you, and that's okay. I mean, Christianity is a faith meant to be lived out in community, and we are supposed to be salt and light in our world. Our love and our actions are the way we invite others into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Check your motivation. Do everything in devotion to Christ so that you may bring glory to God. Will you pray with me? Dear God, we know that we cannot earn your love by doing more. Your love is a free gift of your grace. And at the same time, we know that true love for you expresses itself in devotion to you and in love for our neighbor. Draw us closer to you. Help us to find quiet, secret time alone with you. Help us to love and serve you and other people not so we can be seen and admired, but only so that we can bring glory and honor and praise to your name, and in so doing, draw the whole world unto you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.